Breathe and regain distance from things, for only in this way will you be able to observe the world. Gareth had looked at his meditation teacher with resigned eyes that betrayed the desire to pack up and return to New York. The inexplicable reason why he had not succumbed to that instinct had years later enabled him to face life, possible and impossible things included. The pencil with which he had found himself scribbling onto the official notes of the Francis's case suddenly broke, becoming stuck in a spiral that started from the last verbalised words of Mr. Francis's assistant and the signature of Carmenate, who had diligently drawn up the report. Cochrane then was forced to reopen his eyes and come face to face with one of the most bizarre and irritating mysteries of his career. It was one thing he thought to have to deal with Cassandra and Pat and all the absurdities they brought with them, but it was another reason to have to close the case that could perhaps explain everything more clearly. Was it really a Pandora's box, as Calmonate had warned him several times with maturity and popular wisdom, or were they abandoning the traces of something indispensable and fundamental? At that moment, there was only one thing to do, and that was to get up from the desk and ask Sergeant Smith for the hundredth time to present him with the complete folder with all the evidence and reports in the Francis case. Smith would look at him pityingly, and Gareth would buy him a beer in the pub at the end of the shift, when, between a snort and a laugh, the Francis box was placed on his desk. Gareth realised that sooner or later he would return to Bali and ask his teacher to find him a solution for this blind and often suicidal obstinacy he seemed to cherish. After a quarter of an hour of reading, which started with a detailed description of the crime scene, Smith knocked on his door with a steaming cup of coffee. You'll need it, he told him in a very respectful tone. Gareth smiled at him and resumed the treasure hunt. A fresh corpse but of a man who presumably died 50 years earlier, a devout woman who remembers little or nothing and two invisible witnesses. Not even Agatha Christie would have gotten her hands on it. He quickly put his jacket back on and left the room 
motioning to Smith that they would meet again in a pub later for the promised pint. When he entered the village theatre, he realised that Francis's interrupted story spoke of itself, even among the red seats, which were still perfectly clean, but which betrayed an irrepressible consumption. Or between the folds of the dusty curtain and a wooden floor of the empty stage, which, however, exuded some form of latent energy. The sight of the elderly assistant's silhouette made him shiver for a few seconds. The woman had reminded him of some Native American deity, a hybrid between a human and a feathered bird. Although time had not been kind to her, Miss Elsa, Purple Elsa, affirmed her existence in the world with character and dignity. I don't have much to add, had beaten him to the punch, but Cochrane knew how to get around obstacles and approached her with a smile full of consideration that warmed the woman's heart long enough to let him approach her desk. Gareth sat down and held out his hand. Surprisingly, the woman reciprocated the gesture and in that instant he understood that they were both desperately searching for the same truth. I know it can be painful but I need to make some progress so I can reopen the investigation and give you some peace too. The woman's eyes suddenly became red and full of life. Gareth cleared his throat. I know that between you and Mr. Francis there was more than a working relationship. Perhaps you can give me some more information on what he was like in his private life. Elsa wiped her eyes and put her glasses back on. Come with me, she told him, rising wearily from a chair. The woman led the way up the stairs to the attic and opened the door of the old theatre wardrobe. The room was clean. All the objects had been placed in a very specific order. Clothes, hats, props. There was also a huge whale's mouth made of chipboard and missing a few teeth. Hit badly and who knows how many times by a particularly energetic Captain Ahab. The woman approached a faux Victorian dresser and opened a drawer. These were his diaries, she told Cochrane, handing him a dozen leather-bound notebooks. Gareth took them 
with the necessary delicacy. Is there anything you would like to tell me about him? Something you didn't think of during the previous meetings with me and my agents? Purple Elsa lowered her gaze, perhaps trying to relive the tragic instant in which she found Mr. Francis mortally wounded. A moment that tormented her every night and what she thought she'd remember with every detail. Gareth decided not to stress her any longer and let her return to her palliative lethargy. But the woman grabbed the sleeve of his jacket. The couple who witnessed the scene and who vanished immediately after were a strange couple. He looked so much like someone. Gareth tried to engage her eyes. Come on, Elsa, you can do it. Elsa walked faster towards an iron cabinet, which she opened without too many pleasantries. She started rummaging through hundreds of playbills and posters, occasionally whispering incomprehensible words that betrayed all her excitement. There he is, she shouted. The man of the couple looked a lot like him, she said to Cochrane, handing a concert poster for the asteroids, an 80s band that played Devo-style music. The group's front man was tall, with unkempt red hair and an angular face that was distinctive enough to make Gareth savour a bit of sweet optimism. You have been precious. Here's my business card. Please call me if you remember anything else. Purple Elsa tried to smile at him, stretching every facial muscle, each unaccustomed to that type of movement. It was a cruel reminder of how painful even the smallest of joys can be. I miss him. The sight of us being together. All the language of real life converted into a deep, throbbing hum that sustains. The white noise of us being different, being differently formed, disentangled in a new space. It wasn't perfect, but there was a sequence, a melody, a note that was held for a really long time. The vibrato something. There were moments, items of clothing, his blue shirt, his red and orange tie. There was the mystery when he lifted up my dress, the film locked in a loop when he took off my heels. All of it, outside and inside time, like a dream with no structure or narrative.
There was no name for it. I liked it like that. It had no category. There was nothing to criticize. It was alchemy and ether. It was untouchable nature. There was no way of knowing what the camera angle was. It was a different kind of script. It was not something you could grab hold of. There was no synthesis that could be collated and organized. Just moments of seeing him struggle. The words not coming into play. The tiredness pressing against his brain. Me falling out of the frame. Wrestling with a jarred purpose. Trying to understand the nature of the game. The endless projections. Looping and lapping against the shore. The images playing around our limbs and faces. The same way you see children with hands full of sand laughing at the universe for making everything just perfect and unreal. Sometimes there were no words. There was no pop song. No easy template. It was its own pulse. Just everyday noise. The creases and falls of togetherness. The echoes of stories reverberating from the outside world and creating new reflections in our inner world. New angles and shapes of sound. The melting effects falling over the burning images of us. The timeless, long takes of film. The stillness of the screenshot swirling around the two of us. Oblivious in the oblivion. There was no land, no territory, no preset, no beginning, no end. Just the creaks and crevices of naturalness. It was just the two of us, simple resonance, beautiful aimless solitude, the slow moving tools of nature in the theatre. Most of my life I've thought in straight lines, it made sense, but when I was with him the thoughts became bent, they became warped. They oscillated in a new and divergent way. There was a quietness. It was weird, but it was real. There were no forms to fill. There was no future. Only the strange here. It was a completely different kind of bird song. One that I had never heard before. And I was enraptured and entranced. It was a place where I felt free to express myself. It didn't matter if it was fleeting, if it was dangling from an unknown tree. 
if it was covered in mist, if it was on the surface of something not seen before, if it was animal, if it crashed like sapper against the spirit, it was part of the fabric of how we were. We were like psychopaths, sorely interested in wanting to see how things worked. In our space, nothing more, nothing less. It didn't matter if I hated his ideas from time to time. I didn't need to protect him with a fake smile, be someone else to make the recipe work. That was meaningless to us. There were no set patterns or structures. There was no algorithm. Starless and Bible black. We liked being outside the system. Floating in our small spaceship. Everything about us was unseen. Formless like different coloured lights flickering on and off in a random, senseless way. There was no top-down, no prescribed, predetermined ways of being. We were in the theatre. Gareth walked out of the theatre and took a deep, liberating breath The air of New York had never seemed so fresh. On the sidewalk of the bar opposite, a street musician was singing The Book of Love by Peter Gabriel.